0: Galatians chapter five, if you're just visiting, we've been going through this this letter for some time and uh, certainly have slowed down these two verses of chapter twenty two and twenty three going through these fruits one at a time well, Galatians five verse twenty two Paul writing, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience." Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and verse 23, gentleness. And so, Father, we want to thank you for your word. And Lord, I know there's brethren that are not able to be here, certain trials, sicknesses, illnesses, hospital, Lord, different situations. We're not able to, to live stream today. And Lord, pray you'd meet. Meet them where they're at. Give them what they need. Minister to them from Your Word. Father, I pray in this hour, Lord, would You allow us Lord, to have a glimpse of our Savior that perhaps we just haven't had before or in a refreshed way that would renew our, our joy in Him, our thankfulness to Him. And, and Lord, in a way that would transform our own li- our own lives, in the likeness of His, pray you'd meet with us by your Spirit. You give grace in this hour, in Jesus' name, Amen. One of the benefits of of going through these fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians five is is they provide a, a wide array of God's character for us. I mean, I, as I've said it before, we we become as we behold as we behold this God who saved us. We behold this God who's had mercy upon us. This God that's revealed in Scripture. And that's great. It's great So as long as we behold all of who God is, right? Not just part of Him. Not just a little sliver of Him. Not just one aspect of Him. Not just taking in a couple uh, different uh, characteristics or, or, or attributes, but grasping the full array of His revealed character. And this is how Christians can become easily unbalanced in their life and in their emphasis about God. By getting fixated on one or two aspects of God and practically forgetting the rest. Or really even knowing the rest. For example, if we're constantly being exposed to and meditating upon God's holiness and righteousness and getting fixated on those two aspects of God's character and that's like 99% of our spiritual diet. That's going to largely shape how and what we communicate to others about God, right? It's going to end up producing really an out-of-whack, out-of-balance view of God's character. And, and sadly, I've seen this with, with Christians sharing the Gospel. In, in some cases, that they sound more like Westboro Baptists than they do Jesus Christ. I think a good number of us here uh, have experienced a type of unbalanced emphasis following our conversion, particularly those of us that have come from uh, backgrounds of false professions of faith, Uh, shortly coming out of our false understanding of the gospel, you you know, having our eyes open, beholding the truth, spiritual life given to us, you know, just beholding the majesty of God, the sovereignty of God and salvation, being wowed by it. We have this tendency to, to overreact, right? Just the, the pendulum goes way over, and we get fixated in this area that, that held us, you know, really bound in deception prior to our conversion. And so, you know, we we sound the trumpet zealously, blind, blindly overemphasizing things, and end up producing really what ends up being a very strong-handed, one-themed message. That while in and of itself it it might be good uh, in certain circumstances, yet we haven't the maturity to understand uh, when that message is appropriate and when it's not. Nor have we the depth to understand the way of truth more fully. But we're all over this one aspect of Christianity. This is often called the the cage stage. And, and rightly so because in You end up resembling more a caged tiger than than you do a forgiven saint of the precious Lamb of God who laid down his life for guilty sinners. And it just it tends to produce a heart more of a harshness than a gentleness, more of a combativeness. And I think that's like I said, the experience of a lot of young Christians. Um and not only can an unbalanced views of God of God's character affect the way we communicate God's word, but it can also affect the way we view God Himself, which can really show up when, as we've been talking here when trials hit our life. Right? I'd mentioned last week a person who said they thought God was mad at them because because of some afflictions they were facing for for sins that were. Years ago, before they even converted, the God was punishing them. All. He's taking it out on them. You see, if our go-to view of God and suffering is that He's out to punish you, uh, and that light like, most likely lends itself to a very skewed view of God's justice and not balanced out by the grace found in His Gospel, which resounds with love and compassion and kindness and and goodness, and yes, this most important fruit, gentleness. I think what you find as Christians mature and develop a more balanced understanding of God and His Word is they become less harsh and more gentle, particularly the the Calvinistic uh, cage stagers, if you will they become less fleshly and more like God. They become more like God as they grow in their understanding of how the Lord has treated them. Now, unlike the last two fruits we looked at where the Scripture just abounds uh, with this the theme of goodness and faithfulness, I mean, there are biblical texts after biblical texts that explicitly state... God is good and God is faithful, and Scripture just abounds with this. However, we don't. There doesn't seem to be the case with this word gentleness. There are some. We're going to look at those in a minute. However, first I want to tackle some of the difficulties here that we encounter in this word translated gentleness. Depending on your translation, it may not be gentleness. Um but this, is, this, this word gentleness is, is the Greek word prautes. Similar to the overlap we saw between kindness and goodness, this Greek word prautes also carries with it an overlap of multiple English words, but primarily two, gentleness and meekness. In fact, five of the 15 occurrences of this word prautes and its different forms Get translated meek or meekness. Eight times it gets translated gentle or gentleness. The exact same word. So you'd be inclined to think, okay, well, you know, you have a Greek word here that this doesn't exactly doesn't exactly uh, have an English equivalent, and therefore sometimes it gets translated gentleness and sometimes it gets translated in meekness. And then you run into a verse like Second Corinthians ten, where Paul says, "I Paul myself entreat you by the." meekness, and gentleness of Christ. And what we have there are two different distinct Greek words. Our word prautes, and then it gets translated meek, actually meekness there. And the word translated gentleness in that verse is actually a different Greek word. It's the word an And is And its two forms is used seven times in Scripture. Four times it gets translated gentle. One time gentleness, one time kindness, and one time reasonableness. So that just gives you a little window into the difficult world of translation and the headache that translators must go through just seeking to apply the right English word for the Greek equivalent. And so for the sake of time, I don't want to go too deep into this, only just to point out, yes, even though it seems in most situations, meekness and gentleness are interchangeable terms, in 2 Corinthians 10.1, it highlights the fact they're two distinct things, two different words with different meanings. And after combing over linguistic experts and lexicons and looking at the Scripture usages, I think the best way to describe the distinction between meekness and gentleness, and even though they're very similar, meekness is is humbly bearing and enduring with patience that which is opposed to us. Without resentment, without seeking, without an attitude of revenge, retaliation. It's like the opposite of self-interest, self-assertiveness, defensiveness. Whereas gentleness more refers to the external behavior of demonstrating just loving kindness tenderness toward another. They're both byproducts of humility, but one denotes more of an inward attitude when facing opposition, whereas the other is more of an outward active expression, just seeking to simply bless others. Personally, I, I feel like when I've heard biblical meekness explained, the many times I've heard it, too often it gets emphasized as power under control. Seeking to free it from some modern stigma of equating it to weakness or impotence or being cowardly. Well, that's true. It's certainly not that. But it seems people get so carried away in explaining what meekness is not, you're left with an unclear picture of what it actually is. A gentle, Reception to op- opposition. And I'm hoping not to confuse, but that we walk away with a better understanding of meekness and gentleness, what it means. Even though they are distinct terms, I'm going to use them interchangeably because our Bibles do. They're essentially tender and passionate ways of responding and dealing with people. Numbers 12.3 says, now the man Moses was very meek. It's the Hebrew equivalent. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Meekness being a byproduct of humility kind of makes that statement rather strange, right? In Hebrew and Numbers twelve. Seeing that Moses wrote it. Think about it. Moses is writing and saying Moses is the meekest man in all the earth. If it wasn't inspired language, we would think Moses wasn't so humble making that statement, right? <laughs> However, we we saw in his life all the opposition he faced, right in Israel. He was the meekest man in all the earth. Yes, he he messed up one time, but anyway, moving on, we we find David using the feminine version of the same noun translated meek in Second Samuel. You don't have to turn there 2nd Samuel 12:3 where David says, "You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness," that's the word. Your gentleness has made me great. That word gentleness is the same word Moses uses to describe himself as meek. In David's song there in 2nd Samuel, it gets recorded by the psalmist in Psalm 18 a song he sings to the Lord after his sin against Uriah, after his sin with Bathsheba, after that sin had been dealt with and put away by God, after he had been chased around by Saul, after he had been chased around by his son Absalom, after he had defeated the Philistines one last time, He looks back on it all, realizing how kindly God had dealt with him. He had not dealt with him according to his sin. Realizing this, David says, Lord, Your gentleness has made me great. You were gentle with me. You you, you had compassion on me. I deserve swift punishment, but You were gentle. And because of Your gentleness, I've been made great. That's really actually the only time in the Old Testament we find the Lord Himself being called gentle. However, Scripture does speak of him acting in gentleness toward his own people. Isaiah speaking prophetically of Christ, he says, "Oh, so we sing this is a scripture song. very glorious text, Isaiah 40.11. He says, "I will tend or he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs and his arms." He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. I mean, doesn't that verse just put gentleness on full display? I mean, think about it, God created sheep for a reason. It's and it's all for the purpose of showing what we are, who he is, what he is, and how he treats us and how He, he cares for us. That, that whole scene just provides a wonderful display, a painting, if you will, of gentleness. You have a shepherd who's, who's gathering lambs, not just hitting them with a stick, but he's gathering lambs up in his arms. Picking them up, putting them in his arms. And not just giving them a hug and setting them back down, but he's picking them up in his arms and he's carrying them. Just, just the care in that action alone. He's carrying them. He carries them in His bosom. It's such an intimate, endearing term of nearness and tenderness. Gently leading them. Gently. This is our God, brethren. This is how Scripture paints the Good Shepherd for us. He gently leads his people he gently cares for his helpless weak little sheep and yes that requires certainly requires strength to lead and in doing so demonstrates power under control for sure if you will but but the emphasis in that passage is the gentleness expressed not the power we aren't to look at a passage like that and turn it into well, you know, it requires shepherds to be you know rough, buff, stout, and chiseled guy, you know, and he's commanding the sheep and he's keeping them in line and fending off the the lions and the wolves, and and you end up turning the shepherd into some Jason, Jason, born of the sheepfold, with his 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 short sword strapped on his thigh, ready to go into battle. Listen, Jesus is strong. There ain't anybody stronger. And He is King and He's ruling over all. That's true. But that's not the picture presented to us when we're given this window of Isaiah 40.11. That window is, is allowing us to peer in and, and see the gentleness of our God. And honestly, I, I think it makes men some men feel very uncomfortable. That they just, they just feel the, the need in talking about the subject of gentleness or meekness, to talk about the strength. Strength of God. It's like you got to go outside and rub some dirt on them and do some push-ups or something. This gentleness thing. I can't talk about this too much. You see, aggression is what's natural to man. It is. Gentleness is not. Gentleness requires a work of God. And yes, I'm, trust me, I'm very aware of our younger generation of males that's been largely impacted by feminism run amok. It's greatly impacted male masculinity at large in ways most are not even aware of it. I realize that. I'm aware of that problem. However, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we need to respond and trying to make Jesus Chuck Norris or Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or, or somehow explain away his gentleness. Listen, a true man is a gentle man. And he knows when to be gentle and he knows how to be gentle. Brethren, we, we serve a gentle Savior. Yes, that that doesn't mean there weren't times where he wasn't gentle. There were. He he wasn't petting donkeys and kissing children when he stepped into that temple and started flipping tables. Calling out religious hypocrites as as a brood of vipers. There's nothing gentle about that scene. But that particular moment, you see, didn't require, it didn't warrant gentleness. Gentleness. That does not take away from Jesus possessing this overall character of one who is gentle, that primarily marked His ministry and how He treated people. Jesus is 100% Lion, and He's 100% Lamb. Very much. And we find that to be a consistent portrayal of Christ in Scripture. And some folks, yes, they gravitate toward being toward passivity and timidness, and they need a little more, perhaps a little more lion in their life, and uh, particularly when engaging this lost world. However, today, we're, we're focusing on this fruit of gentleness that flows directly from Christ to us, and I think if we're honest, most of us have plenty of roar. We need a little more lamb injected into our interactions with others. And that's brother that's not something popular in this world. Never has been. In fact I, re- I referred earlier to 2 Corinthians 10:1 where Paul says, "I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ." Paul was actually defending himself there, defending his identity with Jesus. His meekness and gentleness amongst the Corinthians. See, Paul was being accused by those who opposed his ministry of being nothing but this weak, timid guy. As if that were some mark of liability against his message and against his his authority and against his leadership. But actually, what the world saw to be some shortcoming in Paul was actually evidence that Paul was like Christ. Christ. I'm entreating you, like my like my Savior entreated you, like my treat, like my Savior treated everyone with meekness and gentleness. Now, rather than explicitly calling God gentle, and the Bible does, but Scripture primarily shows us examples of God's gentleness. We have the the Shepherd Lamb theme we just talked about. We also have other instances in the New Testament. And of all New Testament authors, Matthew really kind of zeroes in and exposes this in the life of Jesus. And so we're going to go. Well, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew twenty-one five. We're just going to be there quickly, but we're going to the remainder of our time will be in Matthew, looking at these references. In Matthew twenty-one five, Matthew actually quotes Zechariah nine nine here. In Matthew twenty-one five, he says. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Coming to you humble. That's our word, humble, protes, protes, otherwise translated gentle or meek. That's the word. A king on a donkey. The king of kings on a donkey. Sitting on a beast of burden, an animal with the lowliest of <laughs> reputations. I mean, one of the most stubborn animals. Jesus just gently riding it along. Subduing it with all his gentleness. Jesus preaching, you don't have to turn to Matthew 5, but Jesus preaches his sermon on the mountain, Matthew 5, and he says, Blessed are the meek. Proutes, same word. For they shall inherit the earth. Jesus exemplified what he preached. His gentleness secured His inheritance of this earth, those whom He would call and gather to Himself like like lambs in His arms. His meekness or gentleness procured that for Him. Matthew 12. You can turn there, please. Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. And the response there in verse 14 was one of the Pharisees... The Pharisees see this. Can you imagine? We witness a miracle and they're over here conspiring how to destroy Jesus. That's their response to the miracle. Just utterly amazing. You see, outside of jealousy though, part of the reason for the rejection of Jesus is He did not fit the mold that they had cast for Messiah. These religious leaders, you know, really they were no different. They too created this image of Messiah, like he was the Terminator. He's going to come into town, just mow everybody down and and break the back of Rome and, and get this, get them off their, their, get these oppressive yoke off their neck. The yoke of Rome. They were looking for some dynamic, political, military type leader, savior. And this was not Jesus of Nazareth at all. And what's Jesus' response to their conspiring to destroy Him? He withdraws from the public scene and He continues to demonstrate His gentle, loving care in healing all these diseased people that come to Him. Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed Him and He healed them all and ordered them not to make Him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold My servant whom I have chosen, My beloved whom My soul is well pleased. I will put My Spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. I think every street preacher ought to dwell on this text. A bruised reed He will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not quench, until He brings justice to victory. And in His name the Gentiles will hope. Matthew here draws from Isaiah 42. Where we have this depiction of the Messiah, which is very much different than the than the picture that the religious elite uh, had established and were expecting. He's one who who's not going to break bruised reeds or quench a smoldering wick. Reeds, you know what they are? They're they're normally found by water and some marshy ground, and you know, tall, slender plants and they were used in that day as, as for writing utensils. They were also used to, to make the larger ones uh, for walking sticks. The, the, they, they would take them and use them in, uh, as the fibers of them to create actually parchment paper to write on. Reeds became materials that were utilized in many different ways in everyday life, first century people the ones that were damaged well i mean they're just quickly discarded just like you would any kind of plant that was bent over and just discard it without any regard or thought because you know there's plenty to go around the imagery here is one of people being reeds those damaged those that are are not easily Discarded or or disregarded by Jesus, but gently pursued and cared for by Him. The, the smoldering wick it projects the same reality. Usually, a smoldering wick you see a smoldering wick and it's like, well, it's you know kind of useless. It's not it's not burning. There's no light it's producing. There's no heat. Let's just put it out and, and you know that's that. The smoldering wick is a picture of people who are heard disregarded as useless, worthless. Jesus took great interest in gently coming along such people. These are metaphors projecting, depicting the One who dealt with people gently. He comes alongside, not to put them out, but to ignite them, to blow upon them to keep them burning, as it were. Gentleness denotes a compassion, a a tenderness. Something the people weren't seeing in the Pharisees, that's for sure. We see this kind of compassionate gentleness. Brethren, even on the cross where Jesus, in the greatest hours of suffering, Calls upon his father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea who they've crucified. And then he looks down. He looks down at his mother, and, and he sees John, and says, "Son, take care of her." Jesus is making provision for his mother in the midst of immense suffering. That's gentleness on display. If we go back one chapter to Matthew 11, right on the heels of pronounced judgment in verse 20 through 24, Jesus thanks his Father for blinding the proud and revealing himself to the have-nots of life. And he says these most famous words in verse 28: Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest to your soul, for My my yoke is easy and My burden is light. Yeah, and you could preach... You could preach a series on these three verses alone. There's so much to say about them. But for our purposes, notice Jesus notice Jesus' own description of himself. I wasn't going to talk about this, but since it is relevant, it's fairly new. It's probably going through some of your minds right now. Listen, I, I don't exactly know or care what Dane Ortland. Wrote in his book, gentle and lowly. I haven't read the book, so I can't really speak to any of it. I just know it raised a lot of eyebrows and concerns when it was released a couple years ago. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, th- th- those concerns may very well be legit. Valid. I don't. I don't know. I just know how Jesus' gentleness tends to get treated, especially among reform folks. Like I said, kind of apologetically, we got to make them. This strong, stout, burly man. Brethren, I would just point this out. This is not Matthew's opinion of him. Or is it the people of his day? Or is it Dane Ortland or Grace to You Critics or you or me? Jesus Himself wants us to know. This is how He describes Himself and refers to Himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And that should blow us away. For God to say that about Himself What kind of posture is that for a God? I'm tender. I'm compassionate. I'm a servant who lowers himself to serve others. I I put myself before others. I, I, I make myself accessible and approachable. I am gentle and lowly. That's who I am. I I didn't have time to research this, uh, so I'm not sure how many times and specifically what statements Jesus makes about Himself in Scripture. Surely, we we, we know He declares His deity. There's a number of those I am statements. Multiple times, He makes comments about His relationship to His Father. But do we have another instance where Jesus speaks of His own heart? Yes, He reveals it to us in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. But where does He tell, you, tell us, this is my heart? Well, He does right here. I'm going to open up my chest and let you peer into my heart. And this is what you're going to see. And this is what I want you to know is there, I am gentle and lowly." No, no qualifiers. No, no needed commentary to explain that. Lord, help us grasp this. Brethren, to my own shame, I never really considered these words. And I've largely thought upon them and used them evangelistically. But Jesus here, just He shatters all human ideals of Messiah. He does. Instead of a mover and shaker power figure who forces people under His rule, Jesus appeals to people by... <coughs> by taking their burdens from them and placing them upon Himself. <laughs> he seeks to provide rest for people by allowing allowing them to rest their burdens upon Him. Craig, <laughs> take this burden about your granddaughter and, and place it on my back. Slowly, That's, That's gentle. And there's so much more that could be said here. But there's more of this. I mean, you could stay here in Matthew, but I just want to make this one reference. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Paul likens himself to a nursing mother. <laughs> he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, We were gentle among you. How so, Paul? In what way? How how would you describe gentleness, Paul? like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That is a great picture of gentleness. You know, seeing Melody these last days with all these adults peering down over her, poking and prodding and greatly disrupting her comfort zone and her secure bond with mommy and daddy, and particularly mommy. I mean, she might get all upset and scared, feeling just feeling insecure. You know, she's they're breaking into her world of all this foreign activities taking place, and but you put her in mother's arms, and suddenly she becomes soothed. Oh, particularly when she starts nursing. Brother, that is a precious life reality designed by God to communicate to us how our God is toward us. Like a nursing mother with her own child. How do you get more gentle and tender than that? Well, I want to wrap up our examination of Scripture by, by turning to Matthew 8. Yes, there's a, there's a good handful of Scripture I have not addressed. But we're going to have a follow-up message on gentleness because we deal with this exact same word, prautes, again in chapter 6 and in, in verse 1 of Galatians, which Lord willing we'll get to in a, in a few short weeks. But I want us to see something about this gentle and lowly Jesus. I want us to see how... His gentle and lowly heart expresses itself in everyday life. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, And then he came down from the mountain. Great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother in law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the Spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. I, I picked these verses because two times in this chapter, uh, I, I find we find this this noteworthy action brought to our attention by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, And Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Verse 15, And He touched her hand and the fever left her. I am trusting someone else's research because, again, I didn't. I didn't have time to look all this up. But if it's wrong, I know it's not off by a couple, only a couple. But the Holy Spirit tells us Jesus touched people some nineteen, in some nineteen passages in the Gospels. That's a lot. That's significant. Brethren, He did it for a reason. Those are just not needless details. There is a a measure of gentleness that gets communicated by human touch that no words can convey. Jesus makes it a point to touch people in effort to communicate His gentle and lowly heart. I mean, he could have easily cleansed the leper with a word. I mean, he did that later. We just read it. He could have done so with, like he did the centurion servant. Well, the centurion servant wasn't present, but still could have done it with the word. But Jesus made it a point to touch the leper. And He made it a point to touch Peter's mother-in-law's hand. And to touch countless people. As he entered into their burdens, into their brokenness with them. Now now I want to ask you does that bother you or does that intrigue you? Would you be standing there watching Jesus do that? Oh, look, his hand is on her hand. How compassionate. How gentle, how, how much He loves her. Or would you stand there judging Him? Doesn't He know better? He shouldn't be provoking her, touching her like that. She might get the wrong idea. She might have some lustful thought. Judging Him like the Pharisees when, when, when the prostitute comes in and lays herself at His feet. And all those Pharisees are all riled up about that thinking the worst thoughts possible. Oh, well, brethren, when gentleness is real and genuine, sin is not in the forefront of it. It's not. And shame on us if we make it such. And I, I realize this discussion could introduce so many different concerns and, and, and issues brought up and qualifiers, and, and yes, some of them are very legit. I know people have been molested. I know there's touch issues. I know there's not appropriate ways to touch people. Obviously, there are inappropriate touching of people. That's, that's pretty clear, I hope, I trust. But I don't really want to go there and lose this point. I mean, I could spend the next five, ten minutes listing all the ifs, ands, buts, and candy and nuts, but I just don't, I don't want to lose the emphasis and the attention drawn to us by Jesus touching these individuals. I just don't want to do that. I, really want us, I want us to be impacted by the display of Jesus' gentleness. Yes, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I mean, I'm not saying in order to be a good Christian, in order to really de- demonstrate you're gentle, you have to go around touching people. That's, that's not the point here. Any physical action can be mimicked and amount to nothing but a hollow outward form. You know, mere touching people doesn't necessarily communicate anything. But again, this is, this is the kind of scene we, we find in Scripture. Jesus reaching out with a hand of care, expressing His gentleness by touching people. Why, why does Scripture record this for us? I, I think our own experience would help us understand this, right? It, it's an action that melts heart. It's it's an action that reveals deep care. It conveys gentleness. I mean, there's a reason why Paul says, brethren, greet one another with a holy kiss. tells tells the brethren to do that. It was not a call for perversion to prevail, obviously. It was a call for the church to express this this warm and, and welcome gentleness of God in their midst. And we use a handshake or hug today, that's appropriate. But are we warm? Do we project gentleness in our interaction with others? Are you able to reach out your hand and put your hand on somebody's shoulder when hurting and troubled and someone who needs it, and not create some kind of inordinate passion? I hope as a Christian, you could say yes to that. God, help us. Find find appropriate ways to communicate our, our gentleness to others. Today, actually, we have this term developed. We've developed this term called uh, touch starvation or, or skin hungry. It's a real thing. I remember prior to Kelsey and Theron adopting Ruslan, we'd watch this video of these older... Orphans and and they would be they they resorted to just to rocking themselves. I mean it was almost all of them they they'd, get, they'd be in the corner, they'd be rocking themselves back and forth. just kind of a mechanism to to soothe themselves and cope with a lack of attention, with a lack of human touch and care i I got this off of web m d on the internet. It's interesting. Listen to this. Human touch is a huge part of how we interact with others. We we shake our coworkers' hands, we hug and love one another, we give high fives to our friends, we bond through physical touch. Skin is the largest organ in your body and sends good and bad touch sensations to your brain. When you engage in pleasant touch like a hug, your brain releases a hormone called oxytocin. This makes you feel good and firms up emotional and social bonds by lowering anxiety and fear. This reaction begins at birth. When babies are born and doctors suggest that mothers hold and comfort them often to promote healthy development, this is a good thing. This human to human interaction helps or keeps. I'm sorry. This human to human interaction. It keeps up throughout their lives. It's important. Important to be kept up. I don't know why that's not written on there right, but even in adulthood, even in adulthood, brother, human touch helps regulate sleep and digestion, build your immune system and fight infections. When you don't get enough physical touch, you can become stressed, anxious, and depressed. I thought that was very interesting. And you see it in the lives of these orphans, these, people, these kids that are told me neglected without parents. Jesus won hearts and worked miracles with His words and with His gestures. And I think there's something in that for us to learn. So I would just close by just asking the question, how, how, how do we? How do we cultivate more gentleness in our life as Christians? And we're going to answer this more when we get to Galatians 6 1. But there's just four closing points. Well, one, as I had mentioned, we, we become as we behold. We, we, we learn from this gentle and lowly Jesus, right? It's his fruit. It's like Jesus specifically looked for the down and out. Those in most need of a touch. And not looking for anything else in return. Simply looking to bear their burdens for them and assure them of His care for them. Are we we looking? Are we praying for such individuals? Are, Are we faithfully applying... This disposition with people we're regularly in communication with, our own family. Secondly, ask the Lord. Ask and it will be given to you, right? I mean, when's the last time you prayed and asked the Lord to make you gentle and give you a gentle spirit? Have you ever? If you haven't, you should. Like I said, it's not a popular attribute or one we often are compelled to pursue. I know the spotlight in 1 Peter 3 is is on women, but nonetheless, a gentle spirit is said there to be precious in the sight of God. And I mean, if our Savior is gentle and lowly in heart, certainly His followers, be they male or female, should desire to be the same, right? Ask Him for such. Lord, make me a gentle person. Give me this gentleness. Let this fruit blossom in the garden of my life, Lord, please. Thirdly, ask those close to you. They'll be very they're likely going to be very honest with you. Am I a gentle person? Be ready for the answer. <laughs> I mean, do those close to you regard you as gentle? If not, ask them why. And what ways can I demonstrate this more and communicate this more positively? Ask yourself. Fourthly, ask yourself. I mean, do I exhibit the kind of gentleness that I find Jesus exhibiting here on a regular basis when I'm reading through the Gospels? Time and time. Nineteen times. And more than that, do I gently encourage people? Even when it comes to dealing with their sin. Or do I, I just lay down the law and let them have it? Do I gently deal with the the sinful offender in gentle words like, okay, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Or do I have a handful of rocks ready to throw them? The fruit of the Spirit, brethren, is gentleness. May the Lord help us and make this a more abundant crop in our lives and the life of this church. Father, we are thankful we serve such a gentle God Lord I pray as David it was said of David he was able to he was able to rejoice and extol and thanksgiving Lord your your gentleness made him great Lord I pray that would be true for for this church, for us, as your people. Lord, may your gentleness make us great. I pray in Jesus name amen.